Hi, my name's Dr Rachel Steen and I'm a GP registrar working in Sheffield. Unfortunately, despite our best efforts, patients most in need don't get the best care. This problem is present and very real in the UK. I feel, with increasing challenges and changes in both our health and social care services, health inequality needs to be at the top of the agenda. Despite having had a keen interest in population health and preventative medicine throughout my training, I find tackling health inequalities often feels complex, with no obvious solutions. Throughout this podcast, I aim to simplify this. I'll be talking to some of the most experienced colleagues in the field, hoping to fuel interest, inspiration and further discussion around this challenging topic. Welcome to Finding Fair Health podcast. Today, I'm very happy to be talking to Dominic Patterson, GP and Director of Postgraduate GP Education in Yorkshire and Humber. Dom is a busy man with a number of roles, including being a member of both the Royal College of General Practitioners Council and the Health Inequality Steering Group. Dom is passionate about reducing health inequalities and particularly around improving education on this topic. His MSc dissertation developed a curriculum on health equity. He set up a website providing free education on health inequity to health professionals across the country. In 2015, he co-founded the Yorkshire and Humber GP at the DPEN Network with colleagues from across the region. Welcome, Dom, and thank you for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Looking forward to it. Dom, to get us started, what I want to ask you is, as a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? So, originally, I wanted to actually be a vet and have Wednesday afternoons off so I could go and play football for England on international duty. <laughs> so my parents tell me um, up to about the age of 10, 11. And then I got a little bit of uh, realism maybe and um, decided I wanted to be a pilot in the Air Force, um, because possibly because my dad was uh, in the Air Force and that was a role model for me. And that was up till about 15, 16. And then it was medicine. That was the decision at that point, I think. Wow, so that's um, a bit of a change from being a vet and then a pilot to medicine. Was there something specific in your past that got you interested in health inequality? Not particularly. I sometimes reflect on this and and wonder where the passion comes from. I had a privileged upbringing, middle-class privileged upbringing without any difficulties, really, and incredibly fortunate. Um, I went to a good school that... did instill kind of a lot of the values that align with with social justice in me, equality, fairness. Um, And I think it was possibly there that I started to look at the world and start to think that in those formative years as a teenager, when you start to see your place in the world and think where you're going to fit in, it was there that I started to think about um, what role I could have and what I thought was maybe wrong with the world, how I could help to fix that and those sort of feelings. Um, But there was no particular formative incident or or difficult childhood that it stems from no okay okay and so i suppose if there wasn't something in your past what would you say that interests you specifically about health inequalities you've mentioned a few things about fairness and yeah so for, for me it's a, it aligns with my values my core values um, um which include equality fairness and justice so um i'm quite interested in social justice and health justice so so fair outcomes for for people in society whether that more generally or particularly um with regard to their health 
Um, and, you know, as a 16, 17-year-old thinking about a future career and deciding to become a doctor, I don't think I couldn't have um, expressed that as a belief in social justice or health justice, but I think that's what it was. And, and then that's just grown through medical school. And it wasn't really until I found myself in positions of influence um, where I thought, actually, what can I do about this? Um, and what's my role in, in making that situation better? Um, and I think, as you said in your introduction, for me, reducing health inequalities is something I'm incredibly passionate about and something that I think is really, really important. Yeah, fantastic. It's really interesting that you say that it wasn't until you were in positions of influence mm. um, that you really, you really started to sort of almost ignite that passion for you. Would you say that was right? Well, I think you can be... Yeah. Well, that's when I started to believe I could do something about it, maybe. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, always been, you, you can see a problem, but sometimes you don't know what your role is in that, in a solution to that problem. And so it was only when I became a GP when I could definitely see a role. Um, but more when I came into positions of leadership and influence, that I thought, well, now how can I use my, my position, my influence, what, what limited power I've got to address this problem? Yeah, okay. And do you think that's kind of what's taking you through medical school and general practice training to where you are now? It's um, certainly a driving passion for me now. It's what what interests and excites me. Um, It's a challenge. Um, It's possibly the part of my job that I most enjoy, um, wrestling with this problem and trying to find solutions to it. And so, yeah, certainly it's kind of at this moment in my career journey, it's uh, over the past three four years and now it's the driving force really yeah okay so we we talk a lot about health inequality and um i wonder whether you could just define that for me okay so for me health inequalities are are simply differences in health outcomes for patients so that can be in between individual patients or between different groups of patients Um, and often there'll be uh, defined population groups be that um, differences in health outcomes between the rich and the poor or between um, particular uh, groups such as um, offenders, sex workers, homeless patients and the wider populations and differences in health outcomes for, between two different patients or patient groups. Yeah, okay, okay. So I think, yeah, I think that tallies with what, how I understand it. And how does that different in your, differ in your mind to health equity or health inequity? So, yeah, for, for me, that bring health inequity brings in the concept of fairness. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there can be differences in health outcomes for patients for reasons that are beyond control, that there's nothing we can do about, um, and where, to some extent, that, that out, those differences may be expected or fair. And then there can be um, differences in health outcomes for patients between uh, or between groups where they're due to factors that are within our control and where those outcomes are unfair because... They could be different, essentially. Okay. And that's what, when, when we start to think about um, differences for homeless pay, uh, life expectancy and um, morbidity for homeless patients or those um, who live in, in less uh, socioeconomically affluent areas, uh, then that starts to be uh, inequitable. It's unfair because the outcomes for those patients could be better and they're not because of various factors mm-hmm. oh it's not fair yeah yeah okay okay and i kind of think you've kind of answered this already but why is addressing health inequalities so important and health inequity i suppose 
So I think this comes, for me personally, I think it comes back to the reason that reconnecting with your purpose as a doctor almost. Mm-hmm. When you think about why you're going to become a doctor or why you chose to become one and you go to your medical school interview, that's the first question they ask, isn't it? And we all give the cliched answer, and I think I remember saying at the time, God knows how many years ago, um, I want to help people. And and I said, that's, but I know that's a cliched answer, but it's what I believe and it's what I feel. Um, and again, I think for me, the great thing about the work I'm, we're doing with health inequalities is reconnecting us with that purpose. And what I was finding as a GP was that I was spending too much of my time focusing um, on marginally improving the lives uh, of people who were already going to live quite a long time. So I might be giving somebody a statin or um, an ACE inhibitor to give them on average a, an extra six weeks. So they live to be 97, not 96 um, and a bit. Um, and I was I was forgetting about the, my most vulnerable and needy patients to some extent. And I think that the system in the NHS does that. Um, so for me, it, it really focusing on the patients most in need has helped me to refocus with my original purpose, why I wanted to become a doctor, which was which was to help people, to make the world better um, and and to make people uh, you know, better and happier in their lives. Mm-hmm. Really interesting to think about sort of um, medical student interview because I, I imagine that answer is really common across mm-hmm. the board, sort of wanting to help people. I know I was very much the same in that. Um, but... What I find really interesting is that there are certain doctors from that point who carry on and become really interested in health inequality and there are some that don't. Do you think it's important to be interested in health inequality as a doctor? I would say yes, wouldn't I? Um, (laughs) But I guess the the question maybe is should everybody or, you know, should should everybody um, feel the same way? so I think we're, we're presumably all of us as doctors are interested in improving patients' health um, and whether we target how we uh, how much we're doing and target our interventions at, at particular patient groups depends on lots of factors, I guess, for the individual. Um, so for some people, it doesn't matter to them, a patient's social background or, the, or, the, or um, their life circumstance, they just want to do their job of doing their operations or delivering their care without um, uh, without really thinking about that. For other people, maybe they've got that bigger picture. So I don't necessarily think it's important that everybody is as passionate or as or as believes as strongly in it as some of the people that we we know and we talk to. Um, but I do think everybody should have an awareness of the problem at least, an awareness of the fact that that, that um, inequality is out there. Um, not just in health terms, but more generally, because we know that inequality drives unhappiness, poor productivity um, for society in, in general. So, so yeah, I would I would hope that we we that our doctors are selected to maybe have some of the values that would lead them to be interested um, in pursuing health equity, um, and I think that's possibly why a large proportion of them do, particularly GPs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think that it's our role to inspire and enthuse other doctors to become more interested in health inequality? Yes, I'd like to think we can. Uh, I'd like to think we can try anyway. Yeah. And I think you know we're going to recognise that to some extent, and this is something I've always been frustrated by. 
um, the interest in, in health inequalities and the interest in health equity is almost seen as a bit of a niche, um, almost political thing that, that uh, at times I've felt like I need to, to manage carefully around other people because they're going to think that I'm, I'm sort of banging a drum for it. Um, so um, I think we've got to be careful about how we have those conversations and not be too evangelical about it all uh, and, and put people off to be single issue focused. And um, if we're going to win hearts and minds around. So, so that's why I think we're quite keen with all of the work we're doing with their health to make it quite simple for people to also make it really pragmatic and useful so that actually you see well, that a lot of the problems that GPs perceive they have in their uh, working lives and their relations with patients, whether heart sink patients or, or um, chronic pain, difficult consultations, that actually contextualize, contextualizing that in terms of um, health inequalities will help them to better manage their life and their workload and to be happier and more productive as GPs. Um, so it's easy to to preach to the converted and those who, who get it. And, and um, there are some people who you'll never convince that we should be focusing on social determinants of health or anything else. Um, and it's the middle people that we're, that we're interested in getting, uh, the middle majority that we want to, to convert to our cause. <laughs> and, yeah, so I suppose there's some people who might never be interested in this sort of thing, I guess. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, you come across um, GPs, you come, I come across people in policy circles, um, uh, national conversations that I have around this issue. And there are people that are already on board. There are people that get it and can be convinced. And then there are people that are, are going to think that we sh- this isn't something we should be focusing on. Yeah, yeah. Okay. There are other priorities that we would be better, better in focusing on. Yeah. So obviously your role is um, massively around health education. Um, and I know um, education is a key part of how you try and tackle health inequalities. Why do you think this is so important? I think it boils down to, to th- I guess, three things. One, awareness that inequality is there, which we talked about. Two, does the GP have a role in tackling and reducing health inequalities? Uh, and if you accept that, then how that GP is made, how that GP is produced, how they develop must also have an influence. And then from that, I like to think that the education that we, we engage our trainees with, uh, and as we develop them has an influence on their, on how they practice future in the future as GPs. So that's, that's in my head how it, how it runs. The problem is that GPs can make a difference to it. How we train and educate them shapes how they practice. So therefore that can impact and reduce health inequalities. I hope. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I suppose the GP's role in tackling health inequalities is there, but what do you think the GP's main role is in tackling health inequalities? Yeah. Good question. <laughs> we know that the biggest determinant of health from a health perspective, is access to high-quality primary care. So we talk about the determinants of health, um, and majority of those are outside of our control to some extent, so the social determinants, genetic factors. Um, but if we say that healthcare might account for 15 to 20% of health outcomes for patients, um, we know that the largest uh, determinant of that is access to high-quality primary care. So, so the, the GP is there at, 
at the heart of that. And the GPs are in an incredibly privileged position as a an integral and persistent influence throughout patients' lives from cradle to grave, embedded within the community. If not us, then who is in a position from a health perspective to positively influence things? Yeah, okay, I completely agree. Um, in terms of as a role of someone as a health professional, professionals who are involved in um, tackling health inequalities, um, in my mind, someone working in public health kind of springs to mind. And do you think GP allows us to think about population health enough? Again, really interesting question. So I, I think it, whether it allows it is one thing. Whether we choose to do it is another. Mm-hmm. So we did this in our practice a few years ago, um, and I'm not sure that every practice has done it, It was just, which is to think about what are the needs of our population. And the, the truth of general practice is it's really hard at the moment. We're firefighting a lot. It's reactive. It's responding to immediate needs. Um, and it's not enabling us perhaps to have the time and space to stop and reflect on the needs of our population. Um, and by that, I mean, have we stopped and thought, what's the demographic of our population? How has that shifted and changed over time? Um, do we have um, a high prevalence of patients um, uh, from poor areas? Do we have um, many vulnerable groups, lots of homeless patients? Have, have we had um, inward migration that's co- caused um, a rise in that population group? And so one thing is recognising that, and then the other is responding to it. And so it's like, as a, as a practice, how are we individually responding to those needs of our patients? And I think the truth is, whether I'm not sure it allows it for, for most practices at the moment, that time to get the head up from the grindstone to stop and to think, um, to think more strategically and widely about that. And then also whether the, the system allows general practice to respond to the patient's needs is another matter. And... Mm-hmm. Um- on that, so thinking about population health and kind of the individual patient, the GP has got a really, really big role. So it's kind of in a good place to think about some of the problems causing health inequality. What do you think is the biggest problem that causing health inequality in the UK at the moment? Uh, poverty, yeah, without yeah. a doubt, I think. Um, and so a lot of that is, is political Um uh, but certainly and we talked about the social determinants of health b- being more most important and there's poverty and poverty is associated uh, w- with everything essentially that, that might be considered um, damaging for your health, be it obesity, smoking, rates of type 2 diabetes, etc. So so it's poverty and that, that obviously comes from um, issues around employment, education, wider social factors. Um, so that's, I think, the big mm-hmm. problem. Yeah. And it leads to then um, homelessness, it leads to sex work, it leads to all of the, the issues that we see in our most vulnerable patient groups. Um, and uh, so that's the biggest issue, I think. Yeah, OK. And what like, barriers do you think in our system exist to exacerbate this problem, you think? Well, well I think from a, from a primary care point of view, if we think about how, how primary care and general practice is almost letting these patients down. Um, partly it comes down to resource, I think, and money. Uh, I think that the, the inverse care law is still very much alive, that the uh, fa- the nature of the inverse care law, that the, the, 
care is not delivered where it's most needed is very much alive and the resource doesn't isn't there to support that so the money isn't um going to the right places um and then it's not being focused on the right patients and the second thing i think is access so um access to care for um uh, for primary health care for patients from vulnerable groups that are excluded and the system works against them and, and doesn't support them uh, and it's not designed around um, the NHS and primary care isn't designed around our most vulnerable patients as it should be um, no. and then the third thing is is I would say focus so it's, it's focusing primary care uh, on its pop- population needs and individual patient needs mm-hmm. um, in order to address inequality. Yeah, okay. So it's interesting you say both individual patients and the population. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of having to think about a lot of things, aren't, aren't you? Both over the individual patient in front of you, but also the bigger group of patients. And I think that's how... That, in your area. Yeah, it's that's hard, isn't it? That's hard. It's how, but it's our job as GPs, yeah. particularly as partners in practices, yeah. to think, okay, you, you know, to move from sitting with the patient... Um, and dealing with their individual problems in a holistic way, think, taking into account the social uh, and health factors, but also then to step out and think, well, as a practice, um, how, how are we helping mm-hmm. this patient? What's our access policy like for, for excluded groups? Um, you, you know, what's our cultural awareness training like for mm-hmm. our staff so that they understand the problems that are being faced? How are we dealing with issues around language and, and interpreters? So it's having that, yeah, in, I, I think of it like the, uh, an onion almost. So like the inner, inner layer is the one-on-one patient conversation and the impact that I can have there. And then I think, well, what impact can I have within my practice um, at the next layer up? Then locally within the healthcare system, CCG, um, and then wider within regional and national, and, and et cetera. So I like to try and think about it at those different levels. But, but at the end of the day, it often boils down to, Thankfully, that individual patient consultation has been a place you can make the biggest difference. Yeah. You obviously like working in a sort of challenging environment and seeing lots of different patients, um, both from sort of affluent areas and poor areas. Evidence suggests that health professionals tend to, and particularly GPs, tend to work more in affluent areas and less deprived areas. Um, why do you think this is? I think there's a, you're right, definitely, with the inverse care law, as I said, is there. Um, there are fewer GPs in the areas that need them the most. Yeah. And, you know, one of my responsibilities is for primary care workforce in Yorkshire number. So I know where my GPs are, I know where my GP training capacity is, and it's not where it needs to be. And I think there are many factors influencing that. Um, one, I think, is that we don't have the education and training capacity where it needs to be. So we're not training GPs in, in those areas. And if you train staff there, then they'll stay there. The second is um, that we don't draw enough GPs from those areas. So the, the widening participation agenda, which is about um, ensuring that uh, patients uh, from disadvantaged backgrounds are able to get into medical school, we don't then apply that when it comes down to GP necessarily. So, And all the evidence would suggest that if you draw people and train them from uh, a geographical area and then they're likely to go back and work there so i think that's another factor and the third thing is it's really hard work i think um and we know that rates of of uh, stress and burnout are higher in gps working in envir- challenging environments like that so it's really important to support them to stay um so we need more we need to support them when they when they get there mm-hmm. yeah no definitely and 
how can we support the GPs working in these areas? Mm. Well, there's lots of been lots of research looking at the challenges of working in the, the deep end environment, working in, in challenging environments in areas of poverty. Um, like I say, that suggest high risks and rates of stress and burnout. Um, we've got the Trailblazer programme, which we're piloting in Yorkshire and the Humber, which is um, a really exciting project where um, we're looking to try and get newly qualified GPE into areas of socioeconomic deprivation. Um, so first five GPs in uh, and give them a year's programme of uh, support, mentoring, education to try and give them the knowledge, skills, resilience to work effectively and for a long time in those challenging environments because they're really it's really rewarding to work there um, and if we support people and give them the skills and the knowledge to cope um, then hopefully they'll stay so and that's partly about moving the workforce around so I, I'm in Yorkshire and Humber we're producing new GPs and I want to try and distribute that workforce in order to address inequality to try and get them into those challenging areas but I don't just want to dump them in there and, and leave them to struggle. I really want to support them so that they can have a lifelong career there that's rewarding. Mm -hmm. Fantastic, fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, well, that sounds amazing. <laughs> you talk about it being really rewarding, working in these areas and with vulnerable patients, and I can definitely identify with that through my training. But what other positives are there to um, working in GP practices and deprived areas? It depends on your personality and what what um, what excites you and, and what brings value to you as a, in your career. But for me, I like to work hard. I like to make a difference, and I like a challenge. Um, and I think it is a, it is a challenge. And then when you see um, when you you see results, little things, small differences, which are huge to those patients, then it is really it is really rewarding. I I was an Air Force GP for a while, and um, forgive any any military colleagues listening, but um, it was quite easy as a GP because everyone was largely fit and well, um, and it wasn't enough for me. So I wanted to come out and try NHS general practice, and then I found that actually within that, the patients that were more challenging but more rewarding were those patients that we've been talking about. So, so I, I, I think there's that sense. And then on the other side, there is a generally within um, deep end practices and within these challenging environments a real sense of teamwork and camaraderie you are facing the problems together as a practice very often you um, are working with like-minded individuals um, and it's that sense of tribe that we sometimes talk of You've, you find your tribe and and there's huge reward in that um uh, the worst way to face it is in it is if you're isolated but if you're within a a supportive team and you're fighting it together then it's it's really rewarding well that's great to hear you've told us a little bit about the beginning of your career and sort of getting into medical school and things i wanted just to hear about how you've got to your current role and um how you kind of got to this role working in health inequalities um i know you said a little bit as as your um, level of responsibility um increased you felt you had more um where you're more able to do things that um, to tackle health inequalities, but I kind of want to hear a bit about the, the bit in between. Okay, um, yeah, yeah. That's okay. So I mentioned, so I mentioned I was a GP in the Air Force, so I trained in the Air Force and then came out into NHS general practice um, back home for me. So just proving that where that you tend to return to where you've come from um, in, in Doncaster and a GP in a, uh, a, a practice of uh, which had pockets of deprivation, pockets of affluence, a standard ten thousand patient general practice. Um, and 
short, quite shortly after um, joining the practice, developed an interest in education, first as medical students, then uh, as a GP trainer and a training program director in the local training scheme. And it was about that point that I also started to uh, get interested in health inequalities and we talked about that and particularly started to think about the practice and whether um, with the pockets of deprivation we were serving them, them well. Um, my educational career ticked along and I moved from being training program director to look after locally doctors in difficulty in South Yorkshire and then on to a role looking after all the GP training in South Yorkshire. And then just this year I started a, uh, my current role uh, as director of GP education and that involves responsibility for primary care workforce um, and all GP training and education in Yorkshire and Humber, so sort of 5 million population. Uh, we've got uh, nine. 150 GP trainees, but we've got other primary care learners. So it's a big responsibility, but also as uh, with that comes a little bit of, of influence and a little bit of power to affect how we're doing things, how we're delivering training and education, um, how we're focusing our efforts, um, and uh, hopefully in a way that can help to, re to reduce inequalities. And there's some national um, work involved with that as well. So it's really interesting to hear about your current role. Um, but what I'm really interested in is kind of when you get up in the morning, what is it that kind of keeps you going and what makes you feel really passionate about the, the everyday of your role? Uh, so for me, for a lot of, like a lot of people, I guess it's a sense that I might be able to make a difference. So that day, that week, that month, that year, what can I do that's going to make a difference? And I feel but like I'm in a very privileged position uh, where the work that I do and the decisions that I'm making can influence things for the better. And does this motivate you to to carry on? 100%, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, I, partly I've been trying to uh, do well in my jobs, get promoted, get more power and influence so yeah. that I, I, I can help to work on this agenda and... and um, so it excites me, the thought that um, I'm in a position now where hopefully I can have some influence um, and that um, through conversations with others um, spread th uh, that um, to other parts of uh, the country and, and try and... Because there's a sense of a movement here a little bit. I don't know if you feel it over the past two or three years, but the health inequalities movement with the deep end work, um, with what we've been doing with, with Fair Health... Um, at the RCGP conference last year, there's a real sense of, of social justice, health justice, health inequalities being a, uh, an issue that the mainstream uh, of, of healthcare policy uh, and provision was starting to think needed to be addressed. So it feels like there's a bit of momentum gathering. So it's a really exciting time to be involved. So suddenly conversations that we might have been having previously where We'd have found doors closed in our face. There's a little bit. It's a little bit easier to get into rooms and have people listen to to ideas, and, and so yeah, it's exciting. That's really, really good to hear. And I've definitely noticed it being more more of a feature in policies and things that mm. are being brought out. Um, sometimes that feels like oh, it's good just to acknowledge it, but actually. Yeah. Is that is something actually going to get done? Is that something you feel? Sometimes? Well, it is. And, you know, over the years, I've had lots of frustrating conversations um, with people who make policy or commission services where I've struggled to convince them of the need to, to take this seriously, um, that reducing health inequalities is important. And I've said to them, 
said to CCG people in the past, um, you know, this is a, a statutory obligation of yours in, 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 your, in your statutory duties. B, uh, we're, all the evidence is that tackling health inequalities saves money for the system. Uh, and C is the right thing to do. So it's like a triple win. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and those conversations used to be really frustrating and difficult. Just as a, whether it's a cultural shift, whether it's a, a policy shift, um, whether it's the movement, I don't know, but some of those conversations just getting easier. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's exciting. Really exciting. I find that so inspiring that particularly on the start of my career with a passion in health inequality that there feels like there's a movement mm-hmm. uh, kind of starting. It must be so hard to balance. You've got so many roles and health inequality is obviously a really big priority for you. How do you balance this with your other roles? I think by recognising that it can be an integral part of them. So I, it doesn't have to be one or the other, um, that it's part of my job as a general practitioner. It's part of my job when I was chairing a federation in the past. Um, it, it's part of it when I'm when I'm looking at how we train the future workforce for primary care, I think it's integral, it's key. Um, so I don't have to separate it off. I used to think I did. I used to think, well, I could do that in the evenings and weekends because it was like a special interest. But now I see it's absolutely, absolutely, like yeah. yeah, like a hobby. But um, it's absolutely core to, to every aspect of what I do and what I am as a GP. So, and it doesn't, so I don't have to compromise. Um, yeah, I have to balance workload um, and work life balance, um, but I don't have to make make any compromises really which is important no okay and that's fantastic to hear that you you can and it kind of feels acceptable to integrate your work on health inequalities as part of your job and um, yeah. i find that really inspiring to hear actually well and i think you know if i see my role as um, director of gp education as dealing with the future primary care workforce um one of the areas we haven't talked about and I'm really interested in is that concept of social accountability, which just means that we respond to the needs of our population. So we talked earlier about how general practice can think about that. But actually, how does a wider healthcare economy and community think about it across the ocean and with our five million patients? How do we respond to their their needs? Um, and, and definitely how health education's got um, uh got a part to play there and it can be socially accountable too that's that's my mission really so how can health education um, respond to the needs of the population served so a big part of that is reducing health inequalities and meeting needs of of, uh, marginalized groups and disadvantaged patients yeah okay well you've got me sold Mm. Um, (laughs) um okay so you you mentioned it a little bit about um kind of your hobbies and importance of work-life balance um and we've talked a lot about your working life but um working on the challenging issues and um we know you're very busy it obviously takes its toll so what do you do dom to avoid stress and burnout yeah so over the years that has been a challenge for me I've, i've always worked um, a large number of sessions, kept very busy, um, and I've at times struggled, um, I think, on the cusp of burning out, really. Um, and I've learned a lot o- over the 10 years um, about myself and about how to manage that. And uh, a lot of it's about how I work and working smart and com- compartmentalising things. Um, it's hugely important for me, and it always has been, to have um, time for family, for my wife, for my kids, um, and they're the most important thing to me uh, above work. Um, so having time to properly be with them is the most important way that I balance things and, and the most relaxing thing for me. 
And then just finding time for, for exercise, for hobbies is really important. It's simple, simple stuff. Um, uh, but yeah, it's really important because got to be in it for the long haul. I'm 41. I've probably got another 25 years in me according to the pension service um, of, of work. So rather than burning out and, and doing great stuff for, for 10 years and, and then not being able to keep it up um, and, and walking away from the career, I'd rather go a bit slower and a bit longer if possible. So, uh, yeah, that's the plan. Now. Yeah, okay. And it's really interesting. You feel like you've learned a lot over the over the 10 years um, of working as a GP. Um, really, really interesting. Um, and I suppose learning to look after yourself is really important as part of that you've got a really important role. Yeah, um, and I, I think it's important for all GPs and um, it's something that, um, as we talked earlier about, the GPs working in deprived areas and challenging environments, even more so, really. I don't think we do enough to um, uh, in, in the GP curriculum in the time that we have. Historically, we haven't done enough about self-care, um, res- resilience, call it what you will, about, about um, managing yourself within the context of a career in GP um, I don't think we've done enough we're doing more now and particularly we need to focus efforts on, on those GPs who are going to work in challenging environments we know there's a big issue with GP trainees not fully participating as full-time GPs when they when they finish because of the challenging environment of general practice at the moment so it's really important that the curriculum and that the, the education we deliver gives them the skills to help manage it it's no good to sort of learn maybe as I did by making mistakes and reflecting on them um, we want to, to give people those those skills before they embark on the career yeah 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 okay I see that so the other thing I wanted to talk to you a little bit about is um you're seeing a position of leadership and um you managed to use this position of leadership um for the benefit of health inequality um throughout your career um well and the, the higher up you get you've, you've said that um you find you can um try and focus things more from a health inequality perspective um how do you deal with that level of responsibility because does that sometimes seem do you sometimes find that hard or do you find being a leader easy i think it's interesting i i I think like a lot of people in positions of leadership, I don't necessarily always recognise that I am in that position. I don't stop and think. Um, if You can see leadership, I, I guess, as trying to um, achieve change uh, and to bring people on a journey with you to, to, to that, then that is what we're trying to do. I'm most interested in a sense of um, a team uh, and a sense of distributed leadership so empowering, um, activating and energising the people that I work alongside to, um, to hopefully join together in tackling this issue. So I don't see myself particularly as a leader at the top of a, a tree of individuals tackling this. It's very much um, we're, we're a team, we're working together and hopefully... I'm activating and enabling those around me to to um, feel the same way about this, to want to tackle the issues, um, and to think about exciting and innovative ways that, that they could do that, and then find myself in a position where I can say, "Okay, let's try that. Let's do that. Let's let's give it a go." Um, which is what that's what we talked about. What excites and energizes me, and that's it. Really, is working with 
people of a like mind who are similarly passionate um, and trying to find solutions to the problems. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, and I suppose what you're saying is trying to bring people along with you on that journey. Yeah. 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 But not in the sense of here I am off in the distance, ca- catch up with me. Look, yeah. I know where I'm going because yeah. I don't know where, I don't know where I'm going with this. I know what the problems are. I don't really, I think I know what some of the solutions are, but I don't really. So it's more a sense of, guys can we gather around the map you know um and and find what the direction is and go together yeah um, this is going to be easier as a team yeah, yeah i like to think collaborative leadership i don't know and you'd have to ask those who who i work alongside what what they think of me as a as a leader or whether i am I'm a leader um but that's how i would like to approach it if i was thinking about it in abstract terms yeah okay okay just a couple more questions so I'm really interested to think about what resources are available for health professionals early in their career wanting to find out more. Um, so are there, are there any resources you'd recommend? Um, I'd also like you to sort of think of your one golden book that you might recommend to um Okay, so um, I'm, going to, I'm going to plug the resources on the Fair Health website yeah. because I guess I should because uh along with you and others we've put hours uh, of our lives into developing them and we think they're brilliant so um we've got some great resources uh, on, on the website and the idea was to present something on there that gave people a real introduction to health inequalities from a completely naive point of view that it would take them on a journey so they understood the issue so we've got an online module on an introduction to health inequalities then a more practically focused one on what you can do in primary care to help reduce inequalities uh, a module on childhood trauma and adverse experience and we're just putting the finishing touches to a module on on uh, surviving and thriving at the deep end as resilience type module as well so so they're great resources that i think um in drawing um those uh, of course we came across so much that's out there uh, there is an rcgp toolkit on the health inequalities standing group website that's got quite a lot of online and other resources that are available so, uh, yeah. And in terms of Golden Book, um, there are lots. Uh, I'm still uh, working my way through Poverty Safari, Darren McGarvey book, which I think um, I really highly recommend. Um, it's quite brutal, uh, but it gives a, a really, uh, uh, really honest uh, insight into a life of poverty and what it's like growing up in an area of deep, deep poverty. Um, so on the outskirts of Glasgow, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, Pollock area, which yeah. is one of the most deprived communities yeah. Yeah, in the UK. And, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I've read it and I've found it really interesting, his experience of his patient voice um, in as someone who was homeless and a drug addict and being almost used by media as that patient voice and how he was still having problems despite that. And I found that really, really interesting um, in the context of the sort of patient stories and things that we Absolutely, um, are yeah. really interested in um, yeah. as GPs. Um, well, that's right. And we get, we gathered some patient audio narratives for the Fair Health website, you know, and, and I do stop and think about that sometimes. And you think, well, these people have given up of their, their time and, and yeah. told such powerful stories to us. Um, and, then we certainly haven't exploited them in any way no. we present them online as resources um but we've got real responsibility to follow up on that yeah to, no, I agree. you know to not not abandon them uh the, those patients yeah and then in terms of other resources i, I mean one of my other interests is using film um, for education so films so uh 
we tend to use on our health equity study days a couple of films for I, Daniel Blake, um, of course, which many people will have seen, but if not, would recommend. And The Arbor, which is fewer people have seen and is a really uh, challenging uh, piece of work about um, growing up on a cancer state in Bradford. Uh, but it's really powerful. Uh, so I'd recommend those two films as well. Yeah, thank you. I've still not managed to see either of those, which <laughs> they're both on my film list. Hey, thank you. <laughs> okay, so Dom, your final question. A genie has appeared to you and said that you can have one wish to tackle health inequalities. Um, what would that one wish be if you could do one thing? I think that's a really difficult question to answer, to give one one thing. Um, I, get, I guess I'm going to give you two then. So thinking big picture political sense really we know that poverty is the biggest uh, influencing factor when it comes to health inequalities so just reduce income inequality i think is the most important thing uh, on a national level if you could just have a, a relative, relatively flat income inequality that's going to make it um, a huge difference thinking more within my own personal sphere of influence it's distribution of the gp workforce we've talked about how um, GPs are an integral part of the health solution to health inequalities, access to high-quality primary care. So it's reversing the inverse care more essentially. It's making sure that we've got GPs, good GPs, quality GPs, working in areas of greatest need, helping to improve the lives of our most needy patients the quickest and the best. Okay, great. Thank you, Dom, um, for a fantastic discussion today. I have really enjoyed it and I hope everyone else has too. Um, I particularly enjoyed hearing about passion and inspiration in health inequalities, um, but also um, education and workforce as a key part of this and also um, the GP role in tackling health inequalities. I find it really inspiring hearing your role as a GP and a leader, I know you might not call yourself one, but infusing um, and actually enabling those around you to be able to work in um, areas of health inequality. Um, I work with you a lot at the moment, um, but it's often work chat rather than having a chance to have a conversation with you about things we're both passionate about. So I've personally found that really valuable. So thanks, Dom, and speak soon. No, thanks for your time. Okay, Thank thanks. You. Thank you all for listening. You will be able to find further episodes on the Fair Health website. If you haven't been on there already, please do check this out at www.fairhealth.org.uk. It is a fantastic educational resource. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate and review us. If you have ideas, would like to talk to us, or even if you have a suggestion of someone we could interview for an episode, please do get in touch via Twitter at Fairhealth or at RMSteam. It would be great to hear from you. I'm really looking forward to you joining us next time on our journey to finding Fairhealth.